Welcome to the Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros podcast. Here you'll learn everything you need to know to be a successful real estate entrepreneur and achieve the financial freedom you've always wanted. We talk with real experts about their experiences, their accomplishments, and more importantly, how you can learn from their mistakes so you can jumpstart your business and fortify your strategic alliances. There's no BS, no fluff, zero guru talk, just real real estate knowledge. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, Alliance? It's Greg here again. I have an awesome guest for you, as usual. Today, I have with me Sean Zalmanoff, and he is a mortgage broker specialist, but he is also a real estate investor, obviously. So welcome, Sean, to the show, guys. Sean, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So tell the Alliance a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from. Uh, You know, are you married, have kids? Tell us a little bit about your personal life. So uh, again, my name is Sean Zalmanoff. I, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, actually in the city of St. Louis. I have a wife of uh, 10 years this year. Uh, we have two little boys that are two and four. I've uh, been in the mortgage business for, this is my 17th year, been investing in real estate for 16 years. Love the St. Louis Cardinals, as most people do uh, in St. Louis. We spend a ton of time outdoors. We can get to a mountain, go skiing. Uh, We love that, but camping, hiking, fishing, there's a lot of great and fun places to go outside of St. Louis and really all throughout Missouri for for good outdoor adventures. So that about sums it up. I mean, we love the the outdoors. We love our boys to be outdoors. Uh, We do as best we can as parents to to limit that time in front of the television, which is a little Mm -hmm. bit harder now in the wintertime than uh, in the the summertime. And uh, we can't wait for uh, it's actually going to be 16 degrees today so uh we can't wait for 16 yes no thank you it's 82 i think here in tampa today yeah (laughs) y'all have a little bit warmer weather every day than we do (laughs) so sean real quick where where do you like to go mountains like which mountains do you like to go to so uh, i have some friends that live in montana Uh, okay so that's at the top of the rocky chain we've gone to Big Sky almost actually won't go this year, but I've been to Big Sky almost every year for the past six or seven. Next month, we are taking uh, the family to Breckenridge, and my four-year-old is going to get into ski school. We got to this little bitty hill um, that uh, they make some fake ice and put on there that he skied down a few times, but uh, he's going to get full-blown ski school, and I can't wait. I'm so stoked for him to be in that next month. Sweet. Yeah. So, Sean, you said you've been doing real estate brokeraging stuff for quite a while, about 17 years, you said, right? Yeah. So, I knew the mortgage broker side for, for 17 years, and I started investing in real estate the year after that started. My dad oh, okay. has, um, you know, I mean, it's just been, it's in my blood. He bought and sold houses a lot when I was very young. Then, when I got in the mortgage side of things, he, uh, he decided to cash out some investments, and uh, we decided to start building and flipping houses together. And so, uh, man, I, I've learned, uh, I've paid for a graduate school degree and probably a doctorate degree inside of real estate. Uh, <laughs> we, I think we, we all have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you've been doing it for 15 or 16 years, um, it, it is not all rose colored, but you learn a lot. And as long as those, uh, those times where you don't make the money you think you're going to, or, or you don't make any money, you consider that an investment in your education and keep on going. You get to learn a lot and make better decisions down the road. Couldn't agree with you more on that one, man. I mean, 
there's a saying that I, I say to all of our RIA members and everybody that's a coaching student, if you haven't lost money in real estate, you haven't been doing it long enough. Um, and and that, you know, that's one of the things, Greg, that I think that people miss out on. Like, you know, they don't understand how to analyze a deal. Fortunately, like they can be plugged in with groups like yours that can help them substantially with that. But even then, and they're, they're not all winners, but you do it once. They don't make the money. They think they're going to, or they do lose money. You're like, oh man, this doesn't work. I need to go. I'm just going to do something else. I don't even know what those people are talking about. Instead of learning from their mistakes, owning their mistakes, and uh, and then moving on and, and learning to make the next deal better and more profitable for them. Absolutely. Again, I, te- I teach this to all, again, our RIA members, our students, all, all the people that listen to this podcast that have been listening for a while now. You know, real estate is a game, just like the stock market, just like any other investment platform that you choose to use. The idea is to win the game more than you lose. And I use the analogy all the time about the New England Patriots as much as I can't stand the New England Patriots. I'm sorry, guys, if you Alliance, if you are a New England Patriots <laughs> fan, uh, congratulations to you. I mean, I know you guys didn't win the Super Bowl this year, but you guys were in it again like you always seem to be. The point of uh, the story is that the New England Patriots are in the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl a lot, right? And But the thing is, in the regular season, they don't go undefeated. They lose games to her in the, the grand scheme of it. So the idea is that the more, if you can win more than you can lose in the regular season, you have the shot at the Super Bowl. And that's what you have to look at real estate investing as, or the stock market or whatever else, as a game. And you have to play the game the right way where you're going to lose more then you win like the Browns do. No offense to Cleveland fans. Sorry, guys. That, that's a great analogy. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about your very first investment deal you ever did. My very first investment deal. So, the, so being in the mortgage world allowed a nice segue into in getting properties, especially in 2002 and 2003. And a very first deal, it was, a, it was a brand new realtor that we started working with. And I think he was on desk duty and called me up and was like, Hey, there's this house. Like literally it was when we went to go see it, me and a buddy bought it together. We, uh, we parked at his real estate office and walked a half a block behind it to, um, <laughs> to the house. And it was a deal. Me and my buddy walked in there and I'm like, Oh man, this is, you know, this is easy. He told us what needed to be done on it. And he was, he was right. The realtor was right. He knew exactly what needed to be done. And it was only like maybe $10,000 worth of work. And that was my biggest introduction, I think, to leverage and knowing what I'm good at and knowing what other people are good at. Because my buddy and I worked on that house quite a few nights, but every weekend for about three or four months. And that was, um, we ended up bringing somebody else in to redo a third of the work that we did anyway, because we weren't craftsmen and we weren't carpenters and, uh, we were good at knocking down walls and taking out stuff, but not putting it back. And so, um, we ended up doing okay. We did make money on that, but it was a very, very good introduction into what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And, you know, sticking to my day job and if I would have worked a few weekends doing a few more mortgages instead of getting in there and uh, trying to swing a hammer, I would have uh, had a better product quicker and made more money because I'd have been making money doing what I do instead of what I could have been paying somebody else to, to swing the hammer and put in the plumbing and, uh, and do the, the, the cosmetic work that needed to be done at that place. Yep. I, I know the feeling. So yeah, let's talk about the leveraging aspect. Obviously you can leverage money 
but leveraging your time and leveraging your expertise is a huge part of this this whole thing, guys. Building a business out of a real estate investment company or into a, a real estate investment company, guys, is all about leverage. And you guys have to learn very, very quick, or you will learn very, very quickly that you guys can't do everything. And that's why I love wholesaling because I do what I do best and I, I push it off to someone that's maybe a better rehabber, or a better landlord than I am. But the thing is, that's why, that's why investors pay wholesalers big fees because there's, you can't go out there, try to acquire a property and then get funding for it and then do all the renovation yourself and then try to sell it yourself for sale by owner and expect to do multiple deals in a year and make big money because you might as well just get a regular job. I, I like to break it down. Sean, help me out with this one. If you do two deals in a year because you're going to do everything from start to finish and you make $30,000 on each deal, it sounds like a lot of money. But if each deal takes you six months to do because you're doing all the work yourself, you're making $60,000 a year and that's pre-tax. You might as well just get a go, go get a real job, right? It's not worth the stress and the time and the management for what somebody can pay to sit behind a desk for. Right. I mean, that's the crazy thing. I, don't, I think that people like, want to try and save money here, save money there. But you, realize, you have to realize that your, your opportunity costs are far greater than the actual cost of swinging the hammer yourself. And, you know, there's a, I'm just a motto that I live by and, you know, you can always make more money. You can never make more time. Absolutely. I love Ron LeGrand saying he, his, his phrase is the less I do, the more I make. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, it's, I, I know it's tough starting off. Cause again, we, we, we do talk, uh, talk to you guys as mostly newbies on this podcast. You guys have to get out of that mentality that you have to do the work yourself. You got to get out of the worker drone mentality that, you know, most of you have coming from the corporate world where you have one specific job. And you have to, you know, you do that thing and you do it, but you know, you got to think of it as, Hey, Hey, you don't do everything at your corporate job or your real job too. You have other people that take that stuff off your plate. You know, the CEO of, of Coca-Cola or Pepsi does not do all the work themselves. They have a big team. And that's the whole point of you building your own business is finding that, that way to leverage those team members as well. Great. Can we just go back and talk a little bit about the wholesaling that you mentioned? Sure. So, I mean, the last six or seven properties that I have bought have all been off market. And I mean, that is, if we're going to talk about how to start and where you need to find it, I mean, there are some good properties that do hit the MLS, but gosh, I mean, there was one I bid on last week. I, I think, I don't even know what it sold for. It was listed at 110. We are, I was listed at 100. We offered 120. Wow. They just responded to the agent that put it in for us and said that, uh, you know, thank you. We had over 10 offers on the place. Um, you didn't win. And <laughs> so you have, I mean, the wholesaling, finding the realtors who can bring you off market deals, finding wholesalers that know you can close, finding wholesalers that will send you deals. I mean, and once you get your finance thing locked up, once you can buy houses cash, we buy almost everything with cash and then go and get a bank loan afterwards uh, to do the rehab on it. But the, the wholesalers will bring them back to you again and again and again. As soon as you prove you can close, they will, they'll tell the realtors, they'll tell whoever that is, is the connector. Or they might be the person you're talking straight to. They will bring those deals back to you over and over again. That's awesome stuff, man. And it's absolutely true. So Sean, tell, tell us on that wholesaling thing, you bought the last six off market. You said, how much of an assignment fee or wholesale fee did you pay to that wholesaler on average? I have no idea. 
Is, you know, some of them we closed inside of like 20 days from them putting them under contract. I mean, maybe it was 10 or 15. There could have been one that was 30 or 40. I, I just, I'm not worried. How much somebody's making off a deal is totally irrelevant to me. And when I was first getting into this, that is, man, that was something that was really hard. I was always so concerned about what the wholesaler was buying it for, you know, what's unfair that you're going to make $10,000 or $15,000. It's like, man, finding the property is the toughest thing to do, especially, yeah. I mean, it, it's back to like 05, 06, man. The, there's probably even fewer properties available now uh, than there was then. And so those guys who can go find the properties and deliver them to us, like, I just, I don't even ask the question. Now, sometimes when I'm going and talking. I've, I have one agent who works with quite a few wholesalers. And so he brings us, me and several of my partners, quite a few deals. And he will be like, I know that they're into it or, or, or I know that they can't go down much more than this based on what I know they're paying for it. But I'm never, I just don't ask the question because it all just matters on my formula on my side. If I'm flipping it or if I'm buying and holding it, if the numbers work for me, you know, you can make whatever you want to as a wholesaler. I'm with you there because I, I don't give a crap what the wholesaler brings uh, or uh, what they make on the deal. As long as it makes sense on my end, I really don't care either. I've wholesale deals where I made 1500 bucks and worked my butt off. And I've done deals where I made almost $30,000 on a wholesale fee and worked my butt off the same amount on that. So, you know, as long as it makes sense for the buyer on the back end, whether they are fixing, flipping or re, uh, buying and holding, it really shouldn't matter to the, the buyer. And I know a lot of people get um, scared when they're first getting started that, oh my gosh, I'm making 10,000. I don't want my buyer to see that. Well, they're used to seeing that line on that closing statement or HUD. So guys, don't freak out when you're making 10 grand on a deal. You've worked your butt off to get that. So don't feel bad about it. Yeah, congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. Right, absolutely. You know, we, we gladly as buyers pay that $10,000 because that means we didn't have to go do all that work that comes into it. Because guys, you might have to meet with 30 sellers before you get one under contract to sell. It's just, especially in a hot market, like, like it is here in Tampa, uh, and other places all across the country, man, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to put houses under contract. And it really is. I mean, we have houses that are sometimes brought back to us, you know, six or eight months later that the, the seller wanted X for it. You know, we were offered it at, you know, 160,000 for from the wholesaler and, you know, they come back because you know, that's six months later here, you know, I can give it to you for 140 now that the seller's finally ready and, you know, negotiating down. So there's so much work that they have to put in. If you're a wholesaler listening to this, I mean, there's so much work that you have to put in. And Hey, if you get lucky and somebody just gives you a really good price right away, that's fine too. Cause there's just not a lot of properties out there for us to choose from. No doubt. So Sean, you were telling me a little bit about a niche that you have in St. Louis. So tell us a little bit about that niche. So uh, we have a lot of housing stock in the city that was built uh, around the turn of the century. So uh, like the house I live in uh, was built in 1894 wow. and a lot of houses built uh, around that time into, into the twenties and thirties. And one of the really, uh, there was a big fire, not like the Chicago fire, but, but the St. Louis fire that happened around the turn of the century. And so they made all the houses had to be built with brick. And uh, so, you know, we're the Mississippi and Missouri uh, converged. So we got all that great Mississippi mud which makes this awesome red clay. So the architecture here is amazing. Mm -hmm. And because of that is we're rehabbing these houses. Uh, there are historic preservation tax credits that you can receive when, when you're rehabbing and uh, whether you're flipping the house or 
whether it's buy and hold. So there's both uh, state historic tax credits that we have in Missouri. Okay. Uh, and then there's also federal historic preservation tax credits. Now, those just changed underneath the, the new tax plan that went into effect. Not quite as investor friendly, but they didn't make it as bad as, uh, as they were talking about. So right. with these historic tax credits, like uh, Greg, was, I was telling you, so I did a six family that we finished, uh, started in the 18, we started in August of 16 and finished uh, early uh, around March or so of 17. So we'll have a total investment of about 700,000 into that building. But of the renovation costs, which were roughly 400K, wow. um, we will get 25% of that back in a state tax credit and 20% of that back in a federal tax credit. Jeez. And so the um, it's, it's dollar for dollar that you can use to offset taxes. Now, the cool thing is uh, federal tax credits are a little bit harder to transfer, but we all pay a lot more federal taxes than we do state. State tax credits are really easy to transfer, uh, at least they are in Missouri, and you can um, you get 90 to 95 cents on the dollar if you can't use them yourself on there. So well, there's a lot of buildings, I mean, uh, that we'll buy that, you know, if I'm putting 250, 300,000 in rehab, I mean, I can break even on the deal. And if I'm getting state tax credits, I have, you know, I'm getting 25% of that, that cash back. I'll do the deal just to this, just to get my tax credit money, uh, when it's said and done. So it spurred a lot of growth and a lot of houses that maybe would have sat or the level of finish wouldn't have been put back into them have been able to be restored. And it's a, it's a really nice profit center for us as well, too. Now on the, uh, on the federal side, <clears throat> there is a five-year recapture. So you have to hold the property for five years. Okay. Now, if you do sell it in, in three years into it, uh, you owe 40% of the tax credit back. So you, 20% of that drops off a year. Okay. Would you say that was probably the turning point in your business, figuring that out? Um, no need to panic. We're just taking a short break to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be back with the second half of the interview right after this. Do you have a question you just can't seem to find the answer to? Do you need to bounce ideas off a trusted expert? Do you want suggestions on how to improve your existing business strategy and real estate investing? Or do you wish you could get advice from a real estate expert that's been there and done that? Go to gregscoaching.youcanbook.me and book a free coaching call with me today. You'll have exclusive one-on-one -on -one time to go over whatever it is you need in order to propel your business to the next level. Again, that's gregscoaching.youcanbook.me to book your free 15 minute coaching call. Would you say that was probably the turning point in your business, figuring that out? Um, different no, I, mean, I, I was doing the, I was doing the tax credits when, uh, when the market dropped, when the market tanked, uh, I had more properties than, than I've ever had. And I think, uh, I used to look at everything through, through rose colored glasses of how great it could be. And then I kind of, this pendulum swung the other way when I was sitting on a bunch of property that uh, I couldn't get any money to renovate and uh, making payments on shells. Didn't make it through that whole time without turning any properties back over. And then I started to look at everything through, uh, through cracked glasses. And now, you know, I've just finally been able to hone my sense to get somewhere in the middle to where, you know, I'm not looking at it perfect and I'm not looking at it worst case, but based on the knowledge and experience, 
I know what to expect and, and how to do it. There's, awesome. there's nothing like edge on the job training to uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right, Sean, so tell us a little bit about a time that you were going through a rough patch in your business. It sounds like that was around that time. How did you guys get out of that rut? So um, we had uh, a bank that was lending us money uh, that is, is no more that the FDIC came in and said, yeah, you got these loans on your books and uh, you can't, we're not going to let anybody draw any more money on them. And so that was pretty tough. Uh, I had a, um, you know, we were, I mean, the mortgage business was the purchase business was so hot. And then when the great recession happened, that completely went away on us. Uh, but fortunately rates started dropping like a tank afterwards. And so we were able to, uh, I mean, I paid for all the interest and everything on the loans that I had outstanding because I did really well during the mortgage business during that time. And as rates were dropping, fortunately property values, did not tank so much that we couldn't get appraisals to refinance people. Mm. So that was before HARP and all those other programs that where appraisals didn't matter came out. The Midwest, you know, we don't get the appreciation that some areas get, but we also don't get the depreciation during those times um, when, when the market adjusts that, that others experience as well too. So I remember being in like 2011, 2010 in the mortgage business, man, it may have even been end of 09 and people being like, Oh my God, how bad is it? And it, and it was really hard because I was rates had dropped so much. I mean, people were refinancing like for the second and third time inside of a year or two, because you know, it just, it made sense to, right. I was having the best years of my life at that time, actually. <laughs> and, um, they're, they're actually, they're since better now, but, but at that time it was, and, uh, I'm like, Oh, it's okay. You know, business could always be better, but I mean, the, the economy tanking, although it crushed what I was doing on the property investing side, uh, my mortgage business kept me afloat during that time. Awesome. I mean, that's, you, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, basically by the time the uh, market was turning, um, I'd actually, was, I was just rehabbing most of the stuff with cash. Um, so the, I was doing a property at the time that, that we had left. And, you know, basically by the time I was ready to, or, you know, bankable and to get bank financing and it was all there again, I didn't need it. <laughs> it's funny how that works. So I was able to just flip the last couple of properties off by, by doing one at a time, taking money that I was making and feeding it right into there to get them done. And again, I mean, I just learned a lot. The best thing that I did during that time is I went through a few realtors who I was using to help sell my properties. And when, you know, we bought these things in, in 05, 06 and 07, the level of work, some of the areas that we were doing this in, you know, were the, the fringe areas that I think we have almost everywhere um, in the neighborhoods and, and cities that we live in that, uh, that we're developing inside. And of course those fringe areas are, are usually hit the hardest. So thankfully, I don't know if it was by the grace of some greater power or what, I actually listened to somebody else and had them come in before I started really getting in to finishing these houses. And she was able to tell me, being like, yeah, all that stuff. Like, <clears throat> for instance, I was going to go back, the original plans were to get, you know, original 18th century millwork redone, put inside of there. And, um, you know, this one of the two of the houses in particular, the 220, it was a, a 5,200 square foot building that we were doing 2,2600 square foot townhouses inside. 
And she told me to, she was like, that doesn't matter. Here's what you're going to get for this house. I think she said, you know, you're going to get like 220 for this house. And I was still rehabbing this on a $300,000, you know, price at the end, or, or at least budget, not necessarily that I even thought I was going to get that price. And I think that we got 219 for it. She was like, Hey, just put regular, you know, put the trim up that you need for your tax credits. But, uh, which just meant that it really had to be taller. She was like, paint that stuff white, do it. I mean, she saved me 30, 40, $50,000 a unit uh, wow. by listening and getting her advice and, uh, and making sure I didn't overspend it. And, and she was dead on at what we got when we sold them. That's awesome. <laughs> You know, we think we know everything sometimes. And then when you have somebody give that opinion, you're like, duh, (laughs) you know, got to listen to the experts, you know, you got to trust your gut as well, too. And I'm sure you've experienced this too, Greg. I mean, bought a few houses that you were just itching to buy something, but your gut told you no. Uh How do those work out for you? Terribly. (laughs) So Yeah, me too. Every time I haven't trusted that feeling, it it hasn't gone well. But, you know, this woman, her name's Dawn. And, uh, you know, I I just knew she had my back. And I also knew she sold a lot of real estate in the city. And so uh, everything she said was was correct. Mm -hmm. But uh, you got to trust yourself too. But, you know, when you're involved in these clubs, you got to get other people's opinions who are doing deals as well too. I mean, that's the point of joining this. And, you know, we talk about leveraging time. Man, you can condense time so quickly by plugging into other people and learning from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to make sure that you don't just listen to them. You got to make sure you hear them when they're when they're telling you what they've done and haven't done before. For sure. So, what do you think some of the most common mistakes are that the newbies make when they get in this business? You told me on our pre-interview that you're a little harsh on the on the newbies, which is totally fine because I am too. Um, but tell tell us a little bit about uh, what you think the biggest mistakes they're making are. So one, I think there's sometimes in way too big of a rush. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so if you're rushing in to buy something that doesn't feel right, there's probably another deal that's coming around the corner that you won't be able to buy because of that. The other thing too is, you know, you got to get your funding. You got to get your sources lined up. I mean, don't waste people's time. So I mean, the reason this is called investment property is because you have to invest something. And so if you don't have money, then, you know, go be that bird dog, be that wholesaler, go find the properties, put in the time to do that so you can build up, you know, enough wealth to do it. Or go get a business partner, get somebody who has the bank. So when you're going and doing this, I mean, St. Louis is a is a decent sized city. I mean, we got a million plus people uh, between the city and county. But man, we're really a big town. So, and inside of that, like the wholesalers and realtors who are actually doing the investment property, there's not a ton of them out there that have a lot of deals to do it consistently. I mean, if you're just consistently wasting their time, they're, they're not even going to look at your offers. They're not even going to entertain your offers. I know legally they're, they're supposed to, um, they're, they're supposed to, you know, put everything in. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. You don't close a deal once on them. You waste their time a whole bunch of times or oh, yeah. you waste their time once. Your contract's getting thrown away. They're never even going to submit it to anybody. They don't want to deal with you. So, I mean, the biggest thing is really getting your ducks in a row, figuring out what you want. So you want to flip houses. That's awesome. Get your, get your financing lined up, whether it's a private investor, uh, whether it is a local bank. I mean, I got a good buddy. They rehab dozens of houses a year. They literally they probably have 
450 rental units. Wow. And he still does, I mean, he's bankable anywhere that he goes, but he, I mean, he still does a ton of private loans, but he'll, he'll take money from me any day that I want to give it to him at 10%. And because oh. it's easy, it's quick, he's not paying any points, you know, he only needs it for six or seven months. You know, there's no appraisals. There's no, we, we do, of course, we get title insurance and that, but it's quick. So also don't be like, oh man, I, I know I can get a rate at four and a half percent from the bank. If you have a private investor who, you know, sometimes you got to go the hard money route. Um, I mean, I do a little bit out on the side too, but I'm the guy that people call last. Um, if, if I am doing a deal, somebody's paying me five points and 12% interest. So I know I'm expensive. And so I don't get mad when they call me four days before that they have to close. But if you've got somebody who's looking for a good return, who will give, you know, they'll help you finance it all. They'll do it for 10, 11, 12% and, and not put points on the table. The interest is really irrelevant over the short term that you're yeah, I'll take that deal all day. <laughs> and then on the, if you're doing, if you're doing it to buy and hold, you know, what do you want out of it? You know, are you looking for appreciation? I mean, and in my world, buy and hold is not what I'm looking for, for appreciation. I know a lot of guys that they really focus on the single families because they can always sell them real quick. And I'm looking to pay my properties off at an incredibly accelerated pace. And so I'm looking for cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to take the houses that we are doing, the buildings that we're all doing. Uh, I'm looking for primarily above five units right now. Um, the market although it's still tight everywhere, it's a little bit looser there, uh, especially if you can close quick. And so I don't care if these properties end up where, where their value ends up, as long as I'm getting the rents that's giving me the cash flow that I want, then I'm meeting my goal of continuing to develop streams of income that if I ever did want to say peace out to the mortgage business, and I don't see that happening anytime in the next 20 years, I could do that because I have this great stream of cash flow coming in. So are you trying to make money? Are you trying to create cash flow? Are you trying, is this part of what you're trying to use to live off of right now? Is this part of your retirement? Like I do the whole stock market and that stuff too, as you were talking about earlier, Greg. Mm -hmm. I love being able to drive by my buildings on my way home from work and being like, wow, I can go touch that if I want to. Exactly. <laughs> it's a nice feeling for sure. So Sean, this is the one that usually stumps people because we all have a lot of them as if the more you've done, but tell us about the craziest deal you ever went through. Craziest deal that I ever went through. Well, I, that's so that's actually, that's a six family that I bought in. Oh yeah. Okay. In 16. And this was, uh, this realtor and I had looked at, he had brought close to 10 deals to me. He really wanted to, to earn my business, really wanted to do something like nothing worked out. Well, he kept finding these deals and the, there was some crazy title issue. Uh, somebody, the contractor took a hundred thousand dollars from them. So we were supposed to overpay for the building because they, because somebody else stole money from them. And so it was just time after time. So he, he started reaching out to old listings that he had had. And so there was the, this building in particular. And, um, and so I, I he, he puts a spreadsheet together. He's a really good numbers guy. He, he puts together good investment spreadsheets whenever I'm looking at buying something with him. And so everything looks pretty good on this. And um, I mean, I even had talked to the seller. And so we write in the contract that uh, they're supposed, it's supposed to close on, I think I was supposed to close on May 1st. And I think I closed August 26th and the, um, so I wanted the building empty. Uh, 
it was there was three there's three six families in a row on this block in a residential neighborhood it's actually six blocks from my house that um all the they're basically almost the same exact build thing at least on the outside structure wise and it was funny because the few times i came and looked at this building like the flood of neighbors that would come outside and be like what are you doing I'm like like I'm not like I'm not the owner. I'm just checking out the building. Like we're not. We know you're not the owner. He doesn't live here, and uh, we've been dealing, trying to deal with him for years. So like I had this rallying crowd of people that when they found out what I wanted to do to the building, they're like it's the worst building on the block. Please let me. Please buy this thing. Right. And so they were. He was supposed to deliver the building empty, and there was only one tenant inside of there. Well, there were actually three tenants inside of there. Uh, the property manager was stealing money from him. Oh. One of the units had electric turned on. They had extension cords ran to the two of the other units. And the property manager is like, has these people that are, I, they're saying they have a lease or they're saying that they're supposed to be there. And so, I mean, I tried to do cash for keys to get these people out. We, we tried to do so much. And finally, so by the time August rolled around, we had two of the uh, units were, were vacant so it finally was uh just one or the other two of the the other two units two of the three that were occupied were vacated so there was just one left the guy's like man if you don't close in the next whatever amount of days i'm i'm just going to pull the deal well i knew the guy who uh i mean being in the mortgage business privy to some information and the, the guy was days away september 1st he was going to be foreclosed on Oh, wow. So he's hardballing me to try to put me in the corner. I guess he was just kind of throwing his arms up like he didn't care. Uh And then so we finally get to the closing table and there's several unpaid bills, uh, many of which the city will just, when you transfer ownership like sewer and that, they're not going to stick to you. Uh, But there's certain like taxes and things that have to be paid back that uh, the government is going to get their money on. So we're sitting at the closing table and I had to bring like another four grand in the table. And so I, I call, you know, I'm calling and trying to negotiate with the guy, meet in the middle. And, you know, he was, um, he was just being the same person I dealt with for the last four months, <laughs> kept telling the realtor, I don't think he wants to close. I, he was basically trying to kill his own deal, uh, <laughs> but he was just going to get foreclosed on anyway. And it was, it, it was a very good experience. I, if I, if I had been a little bit earlier in my career, I'd have blown that deal up. And that had been terrible because we were running rent projections on that at a thousand fifty. I knew I could get twelve fifty, and that's kind of average for the neighborhood there. But I ended up making some of the nicest units that are in my neighborhood. Mm. And so, getting if somebody did two year lease, I gave them fourteen fifty. If somebody did a one year lease, I gave it to them for fifteen hundred, which I should have raised even a hundred more because they all, I mean, that they they rented incredibly quickly. And so it was a very good learning of you know. I didn't do anything in spite of myself to kill the deal. No matter how big the guy that I was dealing with was a jerk, no matter, you know, all the BS he threw at me, no matter that I had to bring another 4,000 bucks when it was said and done, I mean, the cash flow just really worked. And with doing state and federal tax credits, I was literally, you know, I had to have a significant amount of cash out of pocket for a year and a half or so, but I'm literally going to be in this building for free. I'm going to make money. And, you know, I get over double in rents than what my, uh, what my debt service is on the building. Well, that's, that's what that's all about. Yeah. I'd buy 12 more of those tomorrow, Greg, if I can find them. Yeah, man. (laughs) So Sean, what's the one thing, you know, right now 
that you wish you knew when you first started 17 years ago? I know what I want. Like when I, when I first started, it was like, I would go into a bill that, I mean, I didn't know if I wanted to, to rehab it. I didn't know if I wanted to, I didn't know if I wanted to rehab it for sale. I didn't know if I wanted to, to rehab it and keep it. I didn't know what my plans were. I didn't know what I wanted in the future. So when I'm looking at a building right now, first of all, I asked myself, you know, am, am I looking for cash flow? Am I looking to make money? Do I need it to supplement my income? Or am, am I using it for retirement? So, I mean, the biggest question, if you're doing your first deal right now, you know, what is it that you want to get out of it? And knowing exactly where, what that is, is going to help you narrow down your search a whole heck of a lot. Uh, the other thing too, is really as much as you can prepare in advance, you know, knowing what contract you're going to use. Um, and and you know, maybe a lot of you out there are buying houses that don't need to be rehabbed. I keep talking about everything being rehabbed. I mean, there's a whole other side of the market where you can buy things that don't need uh, to be fixed up. Being with such old housing stock here in, in St. Louis City, I, uh, that's just, I don't even think about buying houses that don't need work. I would. They just, they're not presented very often. Yeah. So just really knowing exactly what your end goal is so you can reverse engineer that and making sure you're just not wasting anybody's time. So when you go, when you do find it, I mean, if you have a good contractor, they're not going to have a problem looking at five or six different buildings with you. But if you look at one where the numbers are right and you don't pull the trigger, you're going you're gonna to lose your credibility. You're going to get less deals brought to you. Right. So be ready to know what you want. Be ready to strike. Absolutely. Well, Sean, awesome interview today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Any parting words for the Alliance? Man, plug into your network, guys and, and gals. I mean, get the education, get the experience, and uh, and just be ready to strike. You know, there's there's deals that are out there. Learn from other people's mistakes, and uh, and trust your gut. Good stuff, man. Thanks again, Sean, for coming on the podcast today, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks for dropping a bunch of knowledge bombs on everybody, including myself. Thanks again, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it, Greg. You've just listened to another Flipping Real Estate Like the Pros podcast. We'd like to thank you for putting your trust in us to be your guide in this exciting venture called real estate investing. If you want us to expand on a topic you heard here today, or you have a new question of your own, head on over to gregscoaching.youcanbook.me for a free 15-minute coaching call, or you can leave your question in our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, head on over to iTunes to review, rate, and subscribe to the show. Be sure to strengthen your own alliance by sharing this podcast. Tune in next week for another expert interview or a great topic. Till then, catch you on the flip side, Alliance.